Design You Podcast, Episode 7. If you are looking for tips, tricks, and inspiration to keep your life on purpose, join us in my free Facebook community, Create the Life You Want, hashtag Design You, and surround yourself with other people choosing to live by design and not by default. Are you ready to create the life you really want? Welcome to the Design You Podcast where I talk to everyday people who know life can be done differently with a clear mindset, positive attitude, openness to growth, and their willingness to take life to the next level. Get ready to design you. Hi guys, Tina Murray here. Today I'm welcoming to the drawing board, Mike Rolls. After contracting meningococcal septicemia at age 18, Mike was left with horrific internal and external injuries and the amputation of his left leg. Eight years later, Mike made the terrifying decision to amputate his other leg. Today he runs, represents Australia in golf, and passionately advocates for and supports other amputees. As a professional speaker, Mike inspires people to be resilient and to empower themselves to create more room for positive, beneficial elements in their life. Join me as I talk with Mike about amputating dead weight. Hi, Mike. How are you? Welcome to the Design You podcast. I'm very good, Tina. How are you? Yeah, I'm awesome. Thank you. Good to see you again. Thank you so much. Now, tell me, what are you doing right now to design your best life? What am I doing right now to design my best life? I'm doing everything humanly possible. I'm following everything that I want to do in the past few years is sort of coming to fruition now, I guess you can say. I've only been on this, I guess, speaking journey and discovering a way to help people. And that is through the lessons that uh, I've learned. That sounds cliche. A lot of people say the lessons I've learned, you know, sh- share it with people. But I've discovered through trial and error, I guess you could say, and from the feedback that I get when I'm out there speaking and communicating and interacting with people, the best way I can help them, and that is um, from the feedback that I get from them. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's this idea of um, amputating dead weight. When I, when I say that to people, people always resonate with that one the most okay. um, out of anything that I say because two things. One thing I know that it works through experience. It mm-hmm. absolutely works 100%. And, uh, and, and the second thing is it can work in a, in a vast range of areas. So designing my life is about, uh, I guess, serving others and helping others to get to where they want to be. And in order to do that, we need to sometimes address what's currently going wrong in our lives before we can move forwards. Absolutely. Now, I think we just need to backtrack a little bit and explain yeah. about this amputating dead weight. <laughs> yeah, sounds a bit <laughs> weird. It's like, what is this, what's this guy talking about amputation for? If no yeah. one- knows me and, and, and perhaps majority of listeners got, got no idea who the hell I am. So, yeah, what, what, what would you like to know, Tina? Well, tell us to start with why you're an amputee. Okay, that's a good one. So, I'm 34 now and when I was just a, a pup, when I was 18 years old, enthusiastic, fit, healthy, sporty, all the rest of it, I just love life. I was, all, you know, annoyingly competitive. Um, <laughs> you can ask my family about that. And I went across on a football trip to Tassie and fell really, really ill uh, somewhere along the line on this football trip. And uh, I was too sick to fly back to Melbourne uh, from Hobart. And uh, the next thing I remember, I woke up in the Alfred Hospital after a five and a half week induced coma, not knowing what the hell had happened. 
and I could see all my family there and I could see the doctors and it was very blurry, very vague. But I was getting this message and getting this information through to me that I'd been ill uh, from something and I didn't know what it was and that parts of my body had been amputated as a result of this disease. And uh, eventually it's sort of like, I think, you know, I remember back, they had to explain it like, feels like a thousand times because I'd, my brain was so affected too um, sure. that they had to explain that I had this meningococcal septicemia, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard of before. I think I maybe I heard of it in the news in passing or something like that. But overall, it was new to me and it was very hard to get my head around that. Like, what the hell? Uh, how does that happen? First of all, and yeah. one of the first questions I said was, "Can I get it? Can I get it again?" Because I was terrified, like I don't want to go through all this again. And, Can you? No, but apparently you can't. You build up an immunity. But there are different strains, so I can't. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to answer that. Sure. Um, uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> the point is, if I get it again, then I'm probably not meant to be here. If that's the, in all honesty, I mean, it's like one in a million chance. So I can't hack um, it. I can't be that unlucky, can I? So, anyways, I got the disease, and I was left with all these devastating injuries externally. A lot of people say, "Wow, you lose limbs from a ninja cockle." Well, mm. that's in, in a lot of ways, that's the tip of the iceberg. I guess physically, I had lost my right leg mm-hmm. um, below the knees, mm-hmm. uh, half of my left foot uh, originally, and then uh, a couple of fingers, part of my nose. Um, I had skin grafting all over my body. It was this horrific circumstance. And wow. internally, my body had started to shut down as well over that period because you get septicemia, you develop uh, toxic shock throughout the, your whole system. And all your, your organs, your internal organs, all your main organs start to shut down. And um, I had liver failure, kidney, fa- kidney failure. Okay. My stomach was just ruined. You know this story, but as well, like, you know, when it, whenever you hear it, it's like full on. I guess your whole entire system just goes into complete meltdown and shock. And uh, the first thing my parents heard was they sent away a really healthy young 18-year-old kid and then they get a phone call saying I had about a 5% chance to live yes. and to get down to Hobart because uh, things aren't great. So, a statement, Mike. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so somehow it, it was one thing, you know, it was one day at a time mm. early on and gradually I was able to get better, but it was a one-step-forward, two-steps-back scenario where I'd get infections and then they'd have to do further tests to see what was going on. I was losing weight fast, all this stuff. And, and it was a six-month ordeal. And to cut a long story short, I went to rehab after a three-month period in hospital and then uh, I got my first prosthetic leg on and this little booty I put on my left foot, mm-hmm. which was, you know, dressed every second day and it was still this source of, you know, they said, look, you have to address this at some point in time. Let's just get you better for now. Sure. So it wasn't something they addressed straight away and it was expected that I might take further action down the track. Okay. So then I got on with life and to the best of my ability and I feel like I did a pretty good job with that. You know, I was always really positive even even at those darkest days, and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say there weren't some horrible days and some moments where, I, you know, it was just too hard to go on. It felt like that. Yeah. But I managed to push through those times and 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 maintain a level of positivity and, uh, you know, I was always focused on the things that I could do mm. and getting on with life the best way I knew how, and that was about adapting to my circumstance and situation. Mm-hmm. It was new and it was foreign and there were things that I would no longer be able to do ever again and I focused on the things that I could do and do them well. Yeah. So that was it in a nutshell, I guess you could say. I, um, I, I spent the next seven or eight years uh, from 2001 right through 2008 with this foot, as I mentioned. 
And the message is really derived because I didn't start speaking until a few years ago, as you know, never really uh, thought about speaking in schools or public speaking in any way. And I only got into it a few years ago and, I, and it's, there's all this pressure on speakers to, to sort of immediately develop a niche and immediately, what, what do you speak about? It's the, it's the most common question. And it's like, I don't know. I used to answer, I, I, was, I would say a different answer every time. Diversity, sure. oh, uh, resilience. I, I speak about uh, getting through challenges or it didn't, didn't really matter, but it was always different. And it wasn't until, uh, like I said, I had this half foot, I had this experience in 2009 where I was given an, a, a diagnosis that I had a, a bone infection in that foot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people think, wow, like it's an amazing thing, but this foot was really troubling me in a lot of areas of my life, my physical health, my mental health, and my, my ability to, to, to have a career, a profession, because I'd, I'd sleep every afternoon. My energy levels were down. My diet was stuffed. I just wasn't moving on from that point mm-hmm. of getting sick. There was always this thing was always a reminder, if you will, mm-hmm. of what had happened to me originally. So I made a really drastic choice. I knew how well I went on my right leg. We're having a below knee process on my right leg and I, I almost made it, uh, the choice like that where I said, chop my leg off, you know, my second leg, my last remaining leg, and I wanted to amputate that dead weight that I was carrying around with me. Mm-hmm. And I remember going and seeing all these surgeons and then making the decision, booking in the date, and I was terrified. I'm not going to lie. It was a, a, a really hard decision because it wasn't an easy amputation. It was a really tough one. There was a lot of skin issues and it was going to be a two-stage operation with reconstruction surgery and this sort of stuff. And, and it wasn't easy. And then when I went and told all my friends and family and people closest to me that I was going to chop my leg off, everyone thought Mike's finally gone around the twist and oh. I lost my mind and like, what are you doing? Like, you've got one leg left, mate. Like, why would you mm-hmm. chop your leg off? And, and I kind of said it with like a bit of a smile on my face. Like, yeah, I'm doing it because I was kind of excited about it, right? Yeah, I bet. I can understand thing, that. Yeah, you just want to let go of something that is you've been holding on to for too long. And mm-hmm. and I had the surgery and it was the best decision I ever made. I was able to do things that I thought I'd never do again. I've been able to run again. I do Eureka Climb every year now. Mm-hmm. Um, get back in the water was a really significant thing. I played better, better golf than beforehand. So it opened up all these opportunities and doors for me by making a really uh, disciplined tough decision in my life and then I was able to adapt that to other areas of my life and, okay. and really shine shine a light on the things that weren't serving me anymore and and that and that relates to beliefs and things as well sure you know your, your mental state uh, once I addressed my physical situation I was able to then move on to well what's holding me back in my mind like what are these things that are holding me back and then there was a, some, something as simple as I always had this belief well after I got sick I'm never going to run again mm-hmm. that's just something that I believed I took it as gospel and I never really considered to confront that belief and expose it for the myth that it had become. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I, I went and spoke to my prosthetist and I said, hey, listen, now that I've got my leg chopped off, I'm walking uh, better, I'm less, you know, less pain, all this sort of stuff. And I said, you know, do you reckon I can run? I know I'm a bit of an old man now. I'm 30, 31, I think I was at the time, and I felt a bit old. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, you know, a bit sort of, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, just maybe I could – I can run, right? Because I'm not going to, try, you know, break down this foot and have to lie in bed for two weeks at a time. Yeah. So I spoke to him and he goes, yeah, why not? Let's have a go. So we built running legs and I did training on my quad and, and built my strength up and 
It was a really exhilarating experience. My first time, I remember my leg mid-stride came flying off oh, um, and I hit the dirt. Oh, no. that, was, that was good fun. Uh, <laughs> and then I went back to the pin system, which locks me in. It's much okay. more secure. And eventually did uh, the Melbourne Marathon 5.7K event, wow. uh, which was a really great experience. I was able to raise some money for a charity that I work for, Interplast, and have a lot of fun doing it. But it was just that empowering experience to be able to as you can imagine, and for people listening, uh, one of the, the basic human urges is this fight or flight um, uh, that, that we have. You know, any time where, like, it's just a, a primal thing, you know, if there's danger, you know, you, you want the ability to be able to run away. And I felt for many years that I was so incapacitated that if something ever happened, I'd just be stuck to the spot and I couldn't get away. I'd be, yeah. you know, and, and that's a horrible feeling as a man, especially, you know, that it, it strikes at the, um, my basic ability to be able to protect myself or protect someone that I care about, my loved ones, my family, and those sorts of things. So being able to run under my own steam was a very exhilarating, empowering experience. So, yeah. um, you know, it all stems back from that one decision about identifying what area of my life was holding me back and asking the question, does that need to be the case? Mm. There's so much my, um, mindset stuff in what you're talking about. You're talking about you have had dark times and but you've maintained positivity throughout that. Now, that's definitely a mindset thing. Were you always positive beforehand or do you think you yeah. meant to be more positive? Yeah. Look, um, look, I, it's, it's a funny one. I've always been extremely positive, but these, these sorts of situations, you know, losing both of your legs has, has the ability to break somebody, you know, to their core. And, and one of the things I've found is that Whilst I was able to maintain positivity through those eight years, yeah. what I did as a result is I sort of put things to the side and ignored them. Like so, what? well, the leg, I ignored mm-hmm. the leg. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I know that it's, I kind of knew deep down, I knew it was in my subconscious. I'm like, look, I know I need to address it, but I don't want to think about that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to hospital. I'm, I'm done with that. Like, it's, it's not something I even want to think about. So, I was able to move on in that sense. So, in a way, that was helpful. Yes. But in a way, it wasn't helpful as well because it wasn't really getting to the root cause of what was what the problem was in the first place. And maybe I needed those eight years to come around to, to, to have the strength to make that decision as well. Mm. So I had a lot of optimism going into the illness, not that I knew that it was coming. And I always maintained a level of optimism afterwards because I always thought, I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better. It was this road to recovery and I and I would always be... I guess buoyed by the fact that I would, I would I was making strains, and when I when I would plateau a little bit, that was probably when I had the the times when it was I, I was less motivated and less optimistic. I'm like, mm, is this is this is this the ceiling? Is this how far I can really get? Mm. Is that because you're a competitive person? You said um, yeah. before half beforehand you were very competitive. Do you think that's part of why the plateaus were hard because you just weren't achieving yeah. where you wanted to? Yeah. Yeah, and then you always get into this situation when you are when you do plateau. You feel like you know when you're not progressing in your life, mm. you f- you look at other people and you think, "Wow, look what they're doing," or "Look what they're doing in their career," or you know, you start comparing this comparison game. We all know too well, and then it, that serves as the most demotivating. So you're not looking in your own backyard; you're always looking externally, and I think that's really unhelpful. Mm. Um, but being competitive, it's it's a sometimes in in our society people see it as a bit of a you know. If someone, I see people that want to win at all costs and I admire that, you know, that's just me. I just think, wow, good on you. Like you want to, 
it's, it becomes obsessive and they just want to win and nothing else matters. That's how people get to where they want to be and that's how I was like growing up. I'd never even – I would try every single sport or it didn't matter if it was Monopoly, Uno, uh, whatever it might be, any type of competition, like a game of horse with basketball playing with my brother – I would be this annoying little ant running around, you know, wanting to beat him the whole time and, <laughs> and to be the best I could. And, and it came with school sports and athletics and I'd be really hard on myself if I, if I lost. And that's why I'm so close with my father. He was always a really great anchor for me. You know, he'd always, if I'd ever, if I'd ever be successful with something and I was pretty successful as a sportsman, uh, he'd always pull me down a peg or two and he'd say, you know, being humble is, is something that he, he really advocates and he doesn't, uh, even though he was a very successful sportsman in his life, other people would tell me that. He would never tell me about how amazing he was as a cricketer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was something that I really admire and I look up to now as I've gotten older. But as a youngster, I was probably, you know, big ego and said, yeah, you know, no one can beat me. I'm the best at this and all that sort of stuff. But I think that that mindset, being competitive, really helped me when I got sick because I just, all I could think about from the moment I woke up um, you know, like I said, there were dark days, but majority of the time I was sitting there thinking, you know, how do I get better? You know, I need to fight. And I had that fighting, I guess that was inbuilt uh, to a large extent when I was trying to overcome those yeah. dark, dark initial days. And you said in the end that making the decision was a quick one, but really what I'm hearing is it was eight years of bit by bit. It was eating yes. away in, inside where you, you you were making the decision every day. You just didn't had yeah. become conscious of it perhaps. Yeah, I guess the tipping point was that diagnosis where someone, I, I needed a little push, just, mm-hmm. just a little one. And sometimes we need that and sometimes it, it's, it's a case where someone will, will tell us something about ourselves that we're like, oh, I didn't realise that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like when you see yourself on camera and you go, well, does my voice sound like that? <laughs> you, know, you're like, you, you know, we need some sort of external opinion sometimes to help us to act or to, to prompt a decision, and that was what that diagnosis was. That was a a, a tipping point for me, where I it, it forced me into a state of reflection and to say and and to really weigh things up and say, okay, well, look at my life right now and all the things that I'm dealing with as, as a result of this leg. Mm. What would like life be like if that wasn't there anymore? Yeah. And was that easy to explain to your family and friends? You said that you did have some resistance from them, that they thought you'd yeah. finally gone bonkers. Family family was a lot easier because yeah. they lived it with me sure. in a lot of ways. Friends, not so much because people, I mean, when you hear the word amputation, it sends shivers down people's spine mm-hmm. a lot of the time. It's a very, very thought-provoking word and, it, and everyone has a different image when they hear the word amputate mm-hmm. and it's always related to trauma. That's why when I say amputate dead weight, people are like, whoa, okay, it, it, it gets people's attention. But I'm not talking about chopping off your limbs and everything. That's an extreme scenario, obviously. But it's one of those things where you you can relate that to other areas of your life as well, which is really important. So your mental, your physical, and your professional lives and work out, okay, well, if something's not working in my professional life, how what can I do to address that situation? And how can I honestly approach that and say, okay, if I'm not getting to where I need to be, what's preventing that from happening? And being honest, it's a confronting thing to do. Mm-hmm. And what tends to happen is if you've got a problem in one of those areas, physical, personal, professional, almost always it has a an infect, it starts to infect the other areas as well. Yes. Okay. So my physical life was preventing me from doing things in my professional life. Yep. And my mental health was 
diminished and deteriorating as a result of that leg as well. So by addressing the, the, the area of my physical life, all of a sudden, bang, my mental health just went upwards and all of a sudden the opportunities and my optimism increased, all these sorts of things. And then I was able to work more and start to do things that I'm doing now. I've got more energy. I can mm. endurance those sorts of things. I don't, I don't have to, you know, rest every hour or so like I had to with that foot. And, you know, it really opened up doors making a really tough decision. I think the difference with what you're talking about, though, as you said, often amputation is a result of a trauma. But what I love about what you're talking about is you made a choice to cut off that other leg and you're asking people to make those choices too. So, number one, you're talking about reflection and deciding what it is that you want and then going out and getting it. So, even though it is going to create some trauma as we make big changes in our life, you're asking people to make choices more than anything is what I'm hearing. Well, it's like you're, you're, you know, design the life you want, right? Mm. Some things in our life happen to us and they're in our control and other things are completely out of our control. In the first instance with my life, it was completely out of my control. The amputations were, all those decisions to amputate were put onto my parents, you know, to sign forms and those sorts of things, consenting for it, which is horrific to think about. Absolutely. That was out of my control. So, I can whinge and moan and say, well, I wish I never got my cockle with one in a million or I can move on the best way possible. But that second decision, that was extremely empowering because that was on me. Mm. And then I was able to make a decision that could steer my life in a positive direction and take control back for myself. So in a lot of ways, I was designing my life the way I wanted it rather than having this problem that I was forced to deal with dictate terms to mm. me. And I was... I got to a point where I was like, yep, you know what? No longer am I going to put up with this. Enough's enough. Yeah. And make that tough decision. And I think we can, you know, you hear a lot of people that are, that are involved in, you know, relationships that aren't fantastic that they put up with for many years and eventually, it, you know, it deteriorates. And we tend to just put that on the back burner and ignore it mm. and expect that things are going to fix themselves miraculously. Well, somehow that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So if we, if we make strong decisions, if we make, if we gather enough evidence and know that even though there was risks with that decision that I made, I went in with my eyes open and I can stand, uh, you know, hand on heart and say, you know, I was prepared for those risks and I would, I was going to cop those uh, in whatever form they took because I knew how much uh, it was affecting my life. And I, th- I think the alternative, even if things had been complicated, it was a decision that had to be made. Mm, and you're also taking responsibility for it though. So, yeah. Thankfully, it did work out to your advantage, but I think you were really saying if it didn't work, that's okay. You went in there making that decision. You know why you made that decision. So you're accepting full responsibility for it. Yeah, do your homework, understand the risks, and then you can make a decision. And one of the things that that stops all the worry and the anxiety and the uncertainty is just research about what the problems are. I I was Googling double amputees all the time before I'd had it done. What's it like? How do you, and I I was speaking to people as many, and there's not many around, so it's hard, but I'd find them and say, how do you have a shower? Like, what does that, these little things that you need to know so that you don't go in there and there's these, all these questions that need answered. I kind of had a lot of those. And if you are making a decision, put things in place that is going to provide you with the best best possible uh, outcome and the best ability to successfully get through that and to have all the support you need in the process. Mm. And support's key. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it goes without saying I've got an incredible family and I wouldn't have been able to do it without them, but some people don't have that. So it's, mm. it's, it's important that you 
weigh up all the resources that are available to you because you yeah absolutely you cannot do do things like this and make big life decisions alone mm. and you sometimes need to you know check in with your best friends and say hey listen I'm going to make a, a tough decision I might need to lean on you in the next few weeks mm. uh, or months or whatever it might be and you know be open and honest and vulnerable about that. Mm. And it sounds too that this experience has brought you and your family very close together and do you understand a side of each other, I'm sure, that hadn't been tapped into before because there hadn't been the need? And how have you found that that's affected other relationships in your life? Yeah, look, my family dynamic obviously has changed a lot as a result of what happened. But we, my parents are still together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got a beautiful partner. Uh, we're really happy uh, together. It's, uh, but I've also had, you know, a past relationship, which was a long relationship which I've since uh, we decided to go our, our separate ways, which was a really big, uh, big, big moment in my life as well, where I needed to readjust and to rethink things too. So mm. um, it didn't have, uh, we went through a great deal together and maybe it was a little bit too much, you know, it, mm-hmm. to sort of handle. And it was an, it was a very amicable uh, split and everything like that. We just decided that we uh, wanted to move in different directions. We did. And I've been able to, do things now it sort of pushed me into doing things that I probably wouldn't have done if I had have you know stayed in that you know that that comfortable zone I guess you could say mm-hmm. so now I'm in a place where that decision has propelled me to greater heights the relationship with my family is still stronger than ever uh, mm-hmm. my brother and my sister are very close to me and um, I've got six nieces and nephews as well wow so our family dynamic is really great we have a lot of fun together I'm a big kid around them as you know Tina <laughs> um, Big sense of humour and always laughing about, you know, silly things. And, yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, made us closer. It's, it's, uh, it, it brings you together for the right reasons as well. I have an incredible amount of respect for what my parents have been able to go through. And also everything that I do is kind of like I've always had this sense of, you know, I want to give them back. Mm. Uh, I want to repay that faith that they showed in me. Nice. And to be by my side from that whole time, it's kind of like, okay, well, what can I do to make them proud or make my partner proud or my brother or my sister? Because everyone has been so good to me. I I feel like, you know, a sense of debt. I'm indebted to them for that as well. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way or anything like yep. that. But it's just like, hey, look, you know, I'm good now. You know, what can I do to to make the most of the situation? Yeah, yeah. So it's you- been a very different story. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it, that's the same with many of our lives, though, isn't it? These things propel us Absolutely. in a direction we um, need to step up and and do what we need to do. When you're looking for 50 years on, and where your life would be, what would yep. that look like for you? 50 years from now. Yep. Wow. God, what's that mean? 84 years old. I'll be. Uh, I'll. I, I don't know. Hope, well, by then, maybe they've got these dynamic prosthetic limbs that help you to fly around everywhere like that. <laughs> Like this, like human drone type scenario <laughs> where I'm like going around and like a race betting at the, you know, I'm just going off to the races and I'll just fly around or something. I don't know, like 84. Wow. Look, I'm thinking at 84 years old, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Maybe at, at 54 years old in 20 years, I hope that I have, have done everything I possibly can in the space that I'm in right now mm-hmm. and given as much of myself as I can to the people. To to, people, to to schools, I do a lot of work in schools. I want to okay. I want to contribute in that area and create resilience programs that's gonna that are going to help uh, teenagers and young people to cope with what they're faced with on a daily basis today. Which is, you know, it, 
there's a lot going on in the world at the moment and it's a tough time to be growing up. And if I can add value in that area, that's something that I'd be really proud to look back and say, you know what, I was able to take a really negative experience, yeah. turn it into something that can help people and and have something that's maybe a bit evergreen as well that can that can live on and, and, and principles that, that stand the test of time. Yeah, beautiful. So what are those sort of principles that we should be adapting? Well, around the um, – I've just written a book, Amputate Dead Weight, which is going to be coming out in the, in the coming year, 2018. And Congrats. those principles uh, stem from this idea that when we amputate dead weight, we make room for better things in their place and we identify those things that are holding us back. And um, I came up with this acronym, which I've based the chapters on, and it's called the PRUNE model. And yeah. it runs through the process. So basically PRUNE, um, when we, the, the word amputate comes from the Latin word amputare, which means to prune. Now, when we prune a tree or something like that, what are we doing? We're cutting away the dead tissue and we're enabling the tree to grow back more beautiful than before, which yeah. is currently what's happened to me, of course, Tina. <laughs> Trimmed off bits and grown out to be more beautiful, I hope. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that was the metaphor. And I developed this, uh, this model, this pause, reflect, uproot, navigate, and evolve. And that makes up the chapters of the book. And it takes people through a journey and gets people to start to think about um, their lives by initiating a pause that they control rather than waiting for something to actually come and, uh, you know, hit you in the side of the head when you go, you know, ignore the signals for long enough and that will happen. Absolutely. And then, and then it gives you a chance to reflect, weigh up what's currently costing you in your life and then uproot and then navigate, give people tools they need to go through those tough moments when you want to go back to that safe place yep. and evolve into something uh, far more greater than you were before. So that's sort of the chapters of the book that gives people a bit of a guideline on how to do it. Mm. And, um, and, that's, and that's sort of where I'm at with, with everything now, with my, um, my methodology and, and uh, the amputated weight message. Beautiful. And um, congratulations on the book coming out. That's very exciting. Thank you very much. And with, um, if we were looking to design our best life, talking, coming back to this navigation that you're talking about, yep. what can we use? What, what are the tools that you've got in there to help us navigate our best life? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So the Navigate chapter really focuses around the immediate aftermath of making a tough decision. Okay. So it's, it's not really um, around, you know, navigate. We're always going to navigate ups and downs of life. We always have to. And it's just a part and parcel. You know, you're always going to go through highs, through lows, those sorts of things. But the Navigate chapter really uh, calls on you to find those support networks before you actually make the decision and then to lean on those afterwards. So creating networking is a really wonderful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Surrounding yourself with people that will give you positive energy as opposed to people that bring you down, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I strategically surround myself with people that me and you know, Ben Pettingill, a guy who's mm-hmm. got 2% vision, hang yep. out with Ben all the time, Chance Burns, another close yep. friend of ours. Awesome He's a guy guys. who is a quadriplegic, absolute crackerjack guy. Yep. Um, never ever heard the guy complain once, have you? Nope. No. It's yeah. amazing. So, so, so when you're navigating this, you know, when you're designing this, you know, and, and another thing as well, this period there's always this sense of doubt, mm-hmm. always this sense of doubt, and I think it's what we, we do. You know, I've, we've had this discussion too. When you're moving forwards, there's always those times where you're like, you know, is am I someone that is worthy of doing this? Like, you know, you have that self-doubt. So it's important to surround yourself with people that bring you up and lift you up and say, yeah, you are good enough. You know, you're having mm-hmm. these positive affirmations and, and really seeing it through and, and eliminating that doubt when and where you can and, and shining a light on it and saying, you know, is, is this really relevant? Am I just telling myself this for the sake of it? Yeah. 
and then pushing forward no matter what comes your way. Mm. I hope that answers the question. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that is perfect, Mike. Um, I love what you're doing and how you're you're making the world better one step at a trying, time. Just try, try my best. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what does Yoda one, say? One no try. in front of the other, Tina. <laughs> Yeah, but you're running and swimming at the same time. <laughs> oh well, yeah, exactly. You know, if you're not uh, well, if you're not laughing, you're crying, right? It's one of those things. You know, we all go through tough times. I know, and I'm sure that you've spoken, and all your listeners know that you, you know, you've been through your battles. I've been through my battles. We mm-hmm. all all go through it, and it doesn't make us weird or strange or unusual. Um, it just makes us human. Yeah, absolutely. I love your message of amputating Deadway. I love the fact that it's about taking control of our lives, making informed decisions, and then, as you said, taking the support and moving forward and evolving um, into the prune model. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, cool. No, it's been a pleasure sharing it with you, and I hope you've uh, your listeners get some value out of it. And uh, great to talk to you again, even if it's across the computer screen. We haven't seen each other all that much, unfortunately, in the last few months. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm sure we'll... Uh, we'll catch up very very shortly and thank you very much for having me on thanks mike appreciate it cheers are you ready to create the life you want pop over to tinamurray.com to grab your free copy of the design new cheat sheet and start creating the life you want right now thank you for joining us for another episode of the design new podcast you'll find the show notes over at tinamurray.com can't wait to see what you create as you design it, communicate it, and live it.